0: You're listening to Have Mike, will Travel with Elizabeth Santry.
1: Hi, I'm Elizabeth. Welcome to the show. This podcast is about creativity, the professional aspects of creativity. You could also say it's about creative thinking. You see, a career in a creative profession typically means carving your own path and making a lot of important decisions alone. And when competition is fierce and the market's uncertain, getting first-hand insight can really help. Join me as I interview full-time creative professionals and ask them to reflect on these really important moments in their career. Each episode, my guests open up about significant and sometimes even subtle choices that have led to their success. I know it can feel lonely out there, so I hope you find their stories as inspiring as I do. It's raining, and that's a typical day in London. I'm walking into Soho to meet up with Susie Babcheck. She is a photography representative and producer for Ridley Scott Associations. We've never met before, and I invited her to be on the show, and she graciously booked a room at a private club for us to meet, somewhere quiet where we could really dig into the conversation. The weather's really crummy. But luckily, I arrive first, so I get to set up in this room. It's cozy. It's full of books and antiques. It feels really lived in, like it's someone's personal library. What's cool about Susie is that she really got the point of the show with very little explanation. Actually, she declined a pre-interview. She was really interested in having the conversation be lively and full of energy, but also she realized that it was important to be authentic and sincere. So I'm pulling out my equipment, and she walks in, and she's everything you imagine of a successful businesswoman. She's beautiful and stylish and sophisticated and confident, but she's also all the components of a great mentor, which is, you know, down-to-earth and gracious and patient and honest. It was such a wonderful opportunity to meet her, and I really enjoyed this episode. I hope you do, too. So let me get started. Okay. I... Always start the show out with location. It's a location-based show. I travel to my guests, and I feel like you are in such a prime position to speak about London specifically. You've been here for a while, and you've watched some changes, but talk me through getting here in the first place. God, Okay,
0: so uh, I was at University of Texas in Austin in the late 80s, and I got my degree in journalism, and I specialized in public relations. So my final year of University of Texas, I had asked myself if if I had studied everything that I wanted to study, because I was meeting with some incredible other students, like um, students from all over the world, honors students. And there were some really interesting classes available at the University of Texas that were not in my curriculum. So I stayed an extra semester and I took classes like, I asked permission to be in an honors Class, although I wasn't an honors student, right, and I had to go to the head of the honors course to ask her and explain to her why I felt that I needed to take her class before I graduated. Wow! So, she's quite a well-known woman. Her name's Betty Sue Flowers. She um, edited Joseph Campbell's book, *The Power of Myth*. Oh, wow! And her class was called *Values and Decisions*. And I'd heard so much about it. I just, it was, people were buzzing from this class, and I just thought, I'm going to stay. And so I stayed an extra semester. I had permission to take that, and then I took another class called Reading and Cultural Personality. Anyway, so now I'm being pushed harder to think and to feel than ever before, and also the international students made me realize how little I knew about the world, like Mm -hmm. the geography of the world the politics of the world, the cultures of the world, and in a way, they were kind of like, shame on you Americans, here you are at a university, and you absolutely clueless, and and I took it on, I was like, God, you're right, so I looked for ways to uh, study abroad, and I really wanted to study in Spain because I was getting good at Spanish at university level. I just couldn't find the right program, it was quite really expensive. And a friend of mine said that she was going to go after she graduated to London on this work abroad exchange program. And I talked to my parents about it, and I was saying, oh, do you know, lots of people go to Europe when they graduate. And there was no big European trip at the end of my (laughs) studies. They were saying, if you want to go to Europe, you work and save your money, and you go. And I think that that has kind of been their answer to me on several occasions, is if if you want it, you can do it, or if you want it, why don't you do it, you know, Wow. so, and I often took the challenge up and did it, and so stayed um, that extra semester, and I applied for the work abroad program in London, I had to have a professor's uh, letter of recommendation, and an employer's letter of recommendation, and I had a work permit to come and live here, now, I have this degree, I saved up the money for a flight, a friend of a friend got me a little housing situation here. It was like a kind of long-term youth hostel up in Hampstead which was really pretty good at the right price. It was like living in a dorm. Okay. I came here and of, and of course you think I want to use my degree. I should be using my yeah. degree, but who the hell are you? <laughs> and um, I had to get work right away because I didn't have the kind of savings to just Wait for the right position. Right. So I did. I did really sort of everyday work. I I was very lucky. I got introduced to uh, people at Jigsaw, the clothes store in Kensington, and I just got a job there as a as a salesperson. And I learned a lot about London doing that because you're meeting Londoners. You're meeting a certain type of Londoner in Kensington. You're learning fashion which is so different than it is in the United States, it was really exciting. I really, really felt inspired by the fashion here, even though I didn't come here for the fashion at all. I was here to broaden my horizons Yeah. and then, you know, go back to the States with more knowledge and more experience. And then I had gone to like a company party at a Tex-Mex restaurant in Covent Garden and... I was looking around and there were people from Liverpool and Ireland and Spain and all working at this Tex-Mex restaurant. And I, I said to the people, you need a Texan here. And I ended up getting a job there and I was making more money, which meant that I could then travel around Europe. So I traveled all the time. I traveled as often as I could. But ultimately, I think what I thought was my next Inspiration here in London was the music scene here. I was absolutely in love with the fact that all the biggest bands and all of the a lot of the dance music at the time was all born here in Austin, where I lived. It, the music scene was just ever so important, and I was excited and involved in that. So, I finally, through more experimentation, ended up getting a job at a record company. And one of the things that I did was I started a Sunday brunch cabaret, because I realized that people here really didn't talk about or do brunch at all. I'd never heard (laughs) of it here, and I kept saying, doesn't anyone go to brunch? (laughs) And people like to party all night, and I just thought, you know, I, I don't know, I wanted a different experience, I wanted something more intimate than the club scene, and more human than the dance culture Mm. because i knew a lot of interesting people i knew poets and songwriters and singers and actors and so i ended up getting a venue in covent garden and i got people to perform and the brunch deal i got was just really inexpensive for people to come and so people would be clubbing all night and then i'd get them to open pretty early like at 10 in the morning so that people could kind of crawl over and, and, you know, start having beers and Bloody Marys and something to eat. I felt like people weren't eating. <laughs> and then the entertainment would start. Mm. And it was magic. It was absolutely wonderful.
1: Do you think that you would have come up with these ideas and have been this turned on in other cities? Or is it specific to London?
0: I think that I felt a difference. You know, like when you see somewhere in an objective way and you've come from somewhere else you think what do I like about here what do I miss about home I had met other Americans so yeah I think that the contrast actually is what has kept me going an awful lot here because I've kept my American identity and I love going back to the states seeing what my friends are up to and talking to them about ideas and you know what's happening and even You just pick up new things. If you only go to the States once a year, you notice things. You notice even just new words or new trends, new ideas. And then you come back to London and you notice things changing here. And London is one of the most changing cities.
1: I completely agree.
0: I just think that's what is so incredible about it is it evolves and it unfolds and it doesn't disappoint. I mean, sadly, it is becoming more like a chain, a, a site for chains, but... I know what you mean. There's so much personality here. So anyway, that is how I got to London, and that is where, you know, the journey has been very, very, very small steps. Yeah. But each, each one with a little bit of a purpose behind them.
1: Amazing. So one thing that it sounds like you already kind of, you started to describe this idea of, like, developing venture, creating, you know, identifying gaps in the market and cool things like that. I would love for you to talk about Just the essence of business in creativity because you are a creative, you have a creative eye and you're a creative mind, but you've been so keen to what it takes to make something happen and you're supporting these artists and these, do you know what I mean? Like I would love to just switch gears and talk about how, you know, coming up with ideas and problem solving or identifying, like I said, gaps in the market or, you know, just having that mindset of how to bring enterprise into creativity.
0: I suppose, I mean, there's always been a business side of me because I've always had to pay my own way. I've always had to make things work out. And so I think that once you decide that something's got to happen, you look around and you pull your resources um, and and you figure it out. I guess marketing is a big part of it and also making sure that you get to know all of the people out there who do things that not necessarily that you are doing, but that could be compatible with what you're doing, and, and you match up ways to work together. I, it always seems to me that it's just puzzle pieces. Mm. I, I don't know what else to say as far as business goes. Mm. I mean, it is it is one of those things you've got to have, you've got to have the income coming in to keep moving forward, and it's it's a tough one. It's really tough, you know. I had my own office for ten years, and I don't know. I think when I decided and determined, I grew very, very slowly, very cautiously. I think um, incremental growth is something to keep an eye on. And mm-hmm. when people bite off too much, or they want to appear to be a lot further along than they are, mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you have big investors. So,
1: I wanted to ask you, and maybe this is a two-parter. It's I tend to ask people when they had the eye. You know, and you have such a discerning eye and such great taste in, you know, in art, and you're able to represent artists, Mm -hmm. and you curate. You've got all these titles. Yeah. Curation, uh, judge, reviewer, consultant, representative. I mean, you're even a guardian, you know, of Mm -hmm. a collection. So that obviously goes to show that you have this fantastic eye. But one thing I love about your work is that you also have a voice. Mm -hmm. And when did you know that you had a voice that you could speak for artists, or speak for art, and and advocate, or, you know, you get, you get client representation, you get, um, you make relationships between other artists, you, you know, you establish things for galleries to be, make sure that your artists are being looked after, things yeah. like that, like, that's a, that's a voice, and that's not easy to come
0: by, no. when did you know you had a voice? I, I, I don't know, I just, um, I got my degree in journalism, mm-hmm. so I have, I trust that I can write and that I can talk, but really as far as like representing people, I think I get to know them and really understand them and where their work's coming from and uh, where they could see themselves going in the near future, Mm -hmm. maybe the far future. Where do they sit in their own environment? What other environments do they want to explore? And then once I know them, I feel like I can help speak for them you know i really love connecting people and i sometimes call myself a human switchboard and i'm sure you're much the same so that's really it i think because i like it i like people it makes me feel good when i see things i get energized by it and it creates positive outcomes the more that happens the more you want to do it so i don't think i ever doubted that i could speak for myself or people
1: yeah i think yeah. the journalist background probably helps i mean like always kind of having knowing that you had something to say and mm-hmm. wanting to create you know develop that skill.
0: I've worked since I was 14 so I've always had to have like a, a professional front you know I've, I've had to be able to deal with people in a professional way so you know I worked in a law office as a teenager I worked at clothes stores I worked at a newspaper I worked at um, an art museum in Austin in the press office and it's just practice. You know, Americans talk on the phone a lot as well, so <laughs> that's a lot of practice. But yeah. I'm, I guess I was described as a people person from very early on. As a teenager, I was already being called a people person by friends and family, and I didn't doubt that. I felt it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, anyone could be a people person. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of engaging. Yeah, and so I love the idea of
1: like working really young, Because it sounds like you were developing, testing, and identifying, you know, figuring out who your, what your identity was. Well,
0: definitely, uh, it's funny because I just really liked having, as a teenager, I liked having my own life, sort of beyond my family. Oh, right. As in, oh gosh, I've got a little pocket money, I can do whatever I want. It gave me an independence that made me feel good, and because... I wanted to continue to work. I had to be good at what I did, good enough to keep jobs going, and, and working has always been important to me, Yeah. so I think that's part of it, is, you know, I like being involved in the working world, and I've always wanted to stay engaged in it, and so I think because I, wanted, I knew that from a young age, I just did.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: Can you also talk to me about, um,
1: you represent a lot of artists and some of them are more well-known, happen to be female, yeah. and I just would love to know what you have to say about the female presence mm-hmm. in, in the creative world, um, you can be specific to London, or just in general, maybe some of the, some of the evolution that
0: you've seen, and some of how... Again, it's really bizarre because I grew up in the midst of the feminist movement, so I actually saw more as far as what women could do and were doing. I saw more of the positive than the negative, even though I'm from Texas where people talk about the good old boy network. I knew so many women who were doing great things. And even my father, I remember as a kid, my father saying, women can do so much now. They can do anything. Things have changed, you know. So I remember being 10 or 11 years old and hearing that these things my dad would say like. So it was established in the home. The... Uh, probably because he is, has a, a law firm. It's a, he has a few partners. They're women. And he actually said to me again like when I was a teenager that he thought that some of the best business people he ever met were women. So to me, I haven't seen or felt or believed in difference. So when I've worked with women it's like of course we can, Mm. of course you know and again like when I came to London very shortly after that Corinne Day's name and imagery hit the scene and I hadn't worked in photography I didn't know how male orientated it was all I knew was she was this really exciting incredible person who had pushed the boundaries and was really well known and it was reflecting our generation. Yeah, she and turned it on its ass, didn't she? She did, she did, and she'd love that term as well because she was a badass. Yeah. Um, so I met her when I was working at a record company and she was being, already being commissioned to do press shots for the bands and album covers and, um, you know, she could command quite a lot of money because of her name and her talent and her, you know, her profile. And so, you know, when I first met her, I was quite daunted to meet her. I mean, first of all, I was like, okay, I could do that. And then I was like going up to her flat thinking, oh, wow, I'm about to go up to meet this Corinne Day yes, person. Rock How's that going to go? <laughs> yeah. um, and I was nervous and she could tell. And so she put me at ease, you know, really, she was very normal. And I was kept waiting like, to be starstruck, but she kept me calm. And so did her partner, Mark, who I'm still friends with now. Mm. I still work with him. Right. But he was like a GQ model, and he was on his way out for a swim with his goggles on, and I was just looking at him going, God, where do you get people like this? You know? <laughs> so, um, eventually, she was looking for a new type of management, and she was at an old school, well, not an old school, an established photo agency. And and she had then made a sidestep to a production company and it hadn't perfectly worked out and so she took me to lunch and she said i really like how you work would you like to manage me would you you know be my agent and producer and i stopped for a minute because i actually did know that she and i clashed sometimes and that she could be difficult and headstrong and i was like you know can i Can i deal with that and also this is a new professional path that i i haven't been down and i said to her you know i'm not an agent i'm i'm a publicist and she said but you've produced my shoots so anything you don't know we can work it out i'll teach you what i know so that was very sharing and giving on her part that she was in that way a bit of a pied piper she would see people along the way and bring them into the fold if she had faith in them and in a way she kind of liked to say to the establishment ha ha you know we can do without you we don't have to do it the way that the tried tested established ways we can get out there and we can do it Mm -hmm. and so you know I was after that I didn't feel very nervous I felt like let's just do it let's take it one step at a time And I think, you know, again, I'm from that era of a very sort of handmade punk stuff. Houston had quite a punk scene as well. I mean, I wasn't steeped in it, but I did kind of go to that, you know, those kind of clubs sometimes. I like that sort of cavalier, maverick um, attitude, and that switches, that inspires me, that energizes me as well. So I'm wondering, I don't know if you'll have an answer off the cuff, but...
1: Is there, have you ever identified stages that a creative will go through within their career and be like, oh, you're going through the oh shit phase or you're going through the you think you know everything phase? Do you know what I mean? Like, is there sort of like these things that you've sort of, there's a repetition of like, this is just the human nature way yeah. of processing a career. Yeah. And is there any stage or sort of, you know, moment that is quite interesting that you've noticed?
0: Well, there I think most artists are quite sensitive mm-hmm. um, because they're observant and, maybe that sensitivity is what makes them great artists and so I, I think that i'm always quite careful what i say to them about their work or about other people's work and we talk about art a lot to keep ideas going so you go from the sensitive stage to a confident stage and then sometimes there'll be the ego will start to march forward and and they make. They can make mistakes. They can make big mistakes in decision making or how they treat people, and I'm very careful about that. Very careful because, um, and in a way, it's good for them to have a spokesperson to gloss over that crap because <laughs> it's human nature, and it's. I can see why it happens, and I can forgive it. And it's. It's. I. I get kicked in the chest by it too, and that's the part. The hard part of working with artists is when they kind of start to turn on everybody in their world and think i don't need you or i don't need that or you know it's, it's all down to them they did it by themselves that kind of thing right so there's that stage it doesn't always last long it's a little it can be quite elastic and it can calm down and stretch out um when you see someone becoming quite comfortable with what they've done then um for me, that especially in the case of Corinne, I felt like she was growing up, and I felt we were growing up together because we were in our early 30s at the time that we got started working together. Like, as I was working with her in my late 20s as a music publicist, but then as her agent and running her office, we were in our early 30s, and I saw her start to think it's okay to be a grown-up. Right. Know, you know, I think you kind of have to stay very youthful in these fields like fashion and art. I think you have to keep a young perspective to, to keep people relating to you and to stay fresh yourself. So it made me happy to see her start to just calm down a little bit and to understand womanhood versus teenagehood. Because mm. I think, I've, I guess as a university student, I really believed in women's studies and I was learning a bit more about feminism there at University of Texas as well. So it was less about being a girl and more about being a woman. And even the the whole sort of the whole body politics to do with fashion I've had to ask questions myself because of you know, there's a clash there. I, I guess what I'm saying is you know, in the stages of an artist as well, the, the growing up, whether you're male or female, when you become a little more established, that growing up thing, mm-hmm. I, I find that satisfying.
1: Mm. You had mentioned a bit about ego, which I would love to tap into, because I think that we share some similar beliefs on this, like, you know, spirituality, or just a, a position of how to observe the world, and, you know, they say, you know, ego is a... Uh, the root of a lot of you know problems that keep you separated from the real the real deal what what is really worthwhile what's the real purpose of being and how to be you know the ego is supposed to be the mind and you're supposed to separate from the mind and tap into the soul yeah. you know i mean that's really hard when you're in a competitive, cutthroat mm-hmm. environment, and it's easy to relate to the most basic emotions of fear and anxiety and and confusion. You know, mm-hmm. how do you how do you manage that? How do you stay true to that sort of trying to be and just you know and tap into the soul versus the mind when you're in a competitive environment?
0: One thing that I came across about 20 years ago was a, a type of Buddhism that I practice, and it's the kind that chants. It's called the Soka Gakkai, and they have this. Principle called the ten worlds, and the ten worlds defines sort of the lower states of being, which are animality and hunger and anger, fear is in there, and um and the, some of the higher states are more like tranquility or learning and realization, altruism, and then Buddhahood. So, I mean, it's a lot to kind of try to take on in one conversation here, but what I did learn and what, why I stuck with this practice was because it gave me vocabulary for what is out there and inside as well and how to keep moving forward and I liked that it was about progressing your life and so you take all of these things that are in you from anger to hunger to animality to altruism and you kind of push them all together forward together you don't try to eradicate them you see see them as part of your world or your life and you kind of use them to energize you so maybe you you look at some of the lower worlds and you want to transform it you want to turn maybe anger into courage Mm. you know that kind of thing so you use it as an energy Mm -hmm. and you don't say oh I've got to get rid of this you think okay I've got this what can I do with it Mm -hmm. and so that actually is what's really helped me. And I really believe that when I started practicing that Buddhism, a lot changed for me. More opportunities came to me. Sometimes they just talk about this serendipitous experiences. You can't prove them. But right. maybe you just are more grateful when you see opportunities and you take them. Yeah. Maybe when you're not involved in a spiritual practice you don't see them all right or maybe you're just sort of closed off because these energies are holding you back mm-hmm. yeah so
1: we were talking for a brief minute when when you walked in about just the idea of like abundance versus scarcity and i really like exploring different cities and taking the show to different cities and asking people about the city mm-hmm. and i love when i land on a city that is free in its knowledge and its energy you know i Definitely say that a lot about Philadelphia. I love mm. you know that about Philadelphia, the sharing and the community. I found it on, on my way, but I mean, in no way to diss London, but London I think is one of those really uh, competitive cities yeah. that has a scarcity attitude, mm-hmm. um, and they're not it's not exactly easy to break into. It
0: didn't always have that for one. Really, Mm-mm. the '90s was much more. There was a much more idealistic and less, well, less commercial in a sense, culturally. You know, people were looking for some sort of new harmony. They believed there was a new harmony happening, but that snapped shut again (laughs) um, later. But I also think culturally that British people are more reserved, Mm. and it takes time to get to know them and for them to trust you and, you know, I, I learned that lesson. It took me a while to really understand that because I mean, people are kind of friendly on the surface, but yeah, they're they're closed off, and I think that's like an emotional trait here. Mm. So there's a bit of that. Well, um, on
1: a positive level, I do think that the typical English person sees it as not wanting to burden you with mm, their emotions. And so. I think it, I mean, I see it as sort of like not just polite but just sort of thoughtful in a way where I won't impose upon you with random emotions that I have I'll wait till I know that you're in it for the long
0: haul probably so but also don't forget cities like London and New York are very transient so they may meet someone like you or me and think well they may not be here very long and do they invest in that but also I think professionally yes people are guarded because you know if they share their contacts you may get in there and zap take up an opportunity that they may be saving for themselves for something you know right but I think once you get into a groove you know who the people are that you could pick up the phone and say I could really use your help or you sit in a meeting and you say you offer something like oh I'd be happy to introduce you to so and so and they say the same like oh you should know and there's a lot of that that does actually happen once you're sort of in the current mm-hmm. there will be and I think you just you've heard this term in business paying it forward mm-hmm. you know it works it really mm-hmm. works and even though you see London as can be quite closed and very competitive I think because the the recession and so many young people see this creative industry as something they'd like to be a part of I can't say that there is enough industry for every young person who comes out with a marketing or fashion degree you know, I think you have to be really, really be yourself and create something that's very you. If you want to be in these creative industries, you have to have something a bit different or you have to be able to file into that sort of corporate world and really play the game.
1: Yeah, I think that that's such a great advice because I think all too often people put their ear to the street and try to see what the market wants and then sometimes try to fit in that mold versus yeah, you know, what you're talking about is that the further you go inward. Maybe you know, knowing yourself and knowing and tapping into your real style and tapping into the the authenticity of your work. Uh, ironically, you might penetrate outwardly yeah. further because of you know people wanting to see your uniqueness. Yeah,
0: you have to be a leader in that sense. I really think. I mean, some there. I'm sure there's jobs that don't want big personalities and big creativity. They want people to get in and do their job. Yeah. Um, But I do think that if you're using your head and you're working hard and your personality comes out, I do think that that is valuable. I I think sometimes I think young people are a little scared, a little timid, and email has had a lot to do with that. I've worked in offices where people are so used to communicating by email and I've worked with people who are really, really good at what they do, and they're 24, 25, 26, they don't really pick up the phone. Mm. And then you don't really know the voice of the people that you're working with. And, yeah, so email does work. But every now and again, I think getting together in person, or picking up the phone, getting to the bottom of a problem fast, you get to know people, and you also get to develop a professional personality. I don't see why it shouldn't be that way, mm. so no, I completely agree. I mean
1: that's the the crux of this show. I mean, the mm. intimacy I'm able to develop and the reality and the real stories I'm able to get it because people have suggested to me, you know elizabeth you're you're going to run your pocket dry trying to travel to your guests. Why don't you do something on over the phone or Skype? And I'm like, this would this like my hands like back and forth to the guest. This wouldn't happen, yeah, and it, and I think that that's great advice, I think. We lose sight of, you know, the technology's great, but you can almost get too comfortable.
0: Yeah, and you've made me comfortable by sitting here and having a chat. I can open up and explain to you very personal situations that probably over the phone we wouldn't get to. I also really like what you're doing because that's one of those things people say to you when you're studying, thinking about a professional career. They say go out and find mentors mm. go out and have informative interviews with people who are out there doing it yes um and i was always a little bit shy of that why would somebody want to talk to me you know why would they take their time to talk to me and, and i was lucky because some people really did sometimes if i have the nerve to ask somebody yeah they would take the time you know what you're doing is that very thing is you are finding mentors you're finding This is your informative interview. Yeah, hopefully it will help people. Yeah, that's the goal, you know. And I, I do see you're, you're right. There is like, it's tough out there. And one thing that I have always said is, in order to get into a position you want to get into, if you believe in it enough, you have to do some things like side things to make them happen you know so I waitressed at night and I worked in the daytime I worked at Dazed and Confused it's an independent magazine they didn't have money it was the first couple of years you know I didn't have my tube pass paid for or anything it was all volunteer and it was a great education it was great experience it was good for my resume and my CV but I to in order to afford myself I waitressed <laughs> at night and I've sometimes I've worked two or three jobs and sometimes I find when you're doing that kind of thing you manage your time better Mm. because you have to each one of those things you're focusing on you get better at them because you have to yeah yeah, so you you cannot sit there and say to yourself I'm 28 years old I cannot be seen waitressing that's bullshit (laughs) yeah do you know what I mean I think that as long as you're earning an honest buck you have nothing to be ashamed of yeah i actually have had and i think you'll i think you definitely appreciate this that i have friends who have lived in london their entire lives who have said to me how could you come from the u.s and land in this city in your 20s and then end up going so far and knowing so many people how did how could how did that happen Mm
1: -hmm.
0: i really don't know i think that i've got like maybe a kind of creative antenna or something Mm and I also quite gregarious so always meeting people and keeping track of people staying in touch with people but also because I always worked really hard always no matter what was going on I always had some kind of whether it was a menial job or a meaningful job Mm -hmm. I always had something going on so I was never too cool or too far along to make sure that I could cover my ass.
1: Yeah. I think that's important to say that, you know, to treat every job like it's the one that's, you know, you're mm. being watched and it's the one that's going to take you to the next level. Because yeah,
0: you never know who you're going to meet.
1: I think the one thing that, like, the access, accessibility and the convenience that that technology gives us, the one thing I think it's taken away is the perception of hard work. Yeah. And commitment, because things appear to come easy, and that's another reason I've started this show is because I think that social media, or just the you know
0: the way that we absorb people, you only get to see the highlights, and so you oh, yeah. think that it's just the easy road. But you know what? When Facebook first came out, I uh, resisted it for quite a while, and I really enjoy it now because I can really just keep track of and interact with so many people and ideas and events. But at the same time, I really do notice who's on there so much and what the hell are they doing on there all damn day like you know are they getting anything done you know and and you can actually see that the people who are really super busy are not on there that much
1: right it's transparent i get what you're saying so
0: So i think that being in the real world is i still think that's really important yeah (laughs) yeah yeah for sure close your laptop and go out there and do a bunch of shit Mm -hmm. well I like I said I'm
1: so happy to have you on the show you're just a wealth of information and perspective it's really great to meet
0: you I really look forward to seeing who else you interview thank you thanks so much thanks for listening be sure to show your support through comments and reviews